Yesterday, Cindy and I um, had a phone call with our son who is at university. He wanted to process something with us. I was thinking about my 20-year-old son who is now a senior at college. I was thinking what he has lived through for these last 21 years. And as my mind started just to think through those 21 years from the moment he was born to where he is at now and us processing through something with our son, when I not only think of my son, but I think of this generation of students, they don't have hurdles in front of them. They have Mount Everest in front of them. And I was reminded of those mountains. I was looking at a, something that was called the pandemic population and thinking what these, these sons and daughters are going through and what Stan and Grant and Emily and, and, um, and believing for Natasha, what they are facing and raising up this next generation who lead 212 here. And here's what I jotted down. Here was what my son, Christian Paul, started life off with. I want you just to think about this for a second and where we're at now. I'm going to go through this fast. My son was born in 2000. I want you to listen. We began 2000. How many remember this with the Y2K bug? How many remember that? That there was a computer flaw that we were told that millions and millions of people that the dates on your computer will not go past December 31, 1999. Satellites are going to fall out of the sky, and you better hoard food in your basements. How many? Don't tell me if you hoarded food. <laughs> right after that, there was the dot-com era bubble burst. Then, then, as we will know next Sunday, we experienced the worst attack of terrorism on September 11, 2001, one year into this brand new millennium. 19 terrorists hijacked jets over domestic soil and killed 2,974 people in New York, Washington, D.C., and Pennsylvania. But it was only the beginning. Do you know after 9-11, our world has experienced over 110,000 terrorist attacks over the next two decades? 110,000. And they said that an average, the terrorists have killed an average of 21,000 people worldwide each year. An average, 21,000 people are dying in terrorist attacks. Then we witnessed the swelling number of scandals and lack of trust in large corporations as Enron and Tyco began just to, just to have scandals plague them. Then we were introduced to the introduction of the smartphone, the iPhone and Androids. Phones became an essential part um, that they even brought mental health consequences that people are still dealing with today. One person said, when our phones had leashes, we were free. Now our phones are free and we have leashes. <laughs> the smartphones introduced social media. It started with MySpace, then Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, WhatsApp, Snapchat, TikTok, and countless others. Then there was the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009 which we were unprepared for, the second downturn in a decade that they said the 2008 and 2009 recession was even worse than the Great Depression in the 1930s. Then came the normalization of student loans, and all of a sudden college tuition started to begin to just engulf students that couldn't get out of debt. Then we saw an increase in mass shootings in America, in schools and in supermarkets and in post offices. And then just think of this, in 2019, there were more mass shootings in the United States than there were days in the year. There were 417 mass shootings in 2019, 417. Then came the normalization of addictions in America from vaping to video games, pornography and social media and prescription drugs. For the first time in the 21st century, Legal addictions overtook illegal addictions. And more people were addicted to prescription drugs than they were to illegal drugs. And what can we say about the political polarization that has happened in these last six and seven years? And then I remember getting on a plane and picking up my son in April at university because the entire campus was shutting down because there was something happening called the coronavirus which sent all of us home from school and work, and for months, the world shut down. What's amazing is it says there was a record of 6.6 .6 million Americans applied for unemployment in one week. 
in one week. In the middle of COVID, we have faced civil unrest, volatile election, an unprecedented attack on our capital. And now a Ukrainian war with a refugee crisis is in the millions, not only in Europe, but even right here in the United States, where buses are pulling into Washington, D.C., Chicago, and New York City. Think of it for just a second. Those are the first 21 years of my son's life. 21 years. This is what he's grown up in. That's what your children have grown up in in the last two decades. It's no wonder that mental health issues have reached epic proportions among Americans and especially young people. The CDC has now posted that one out of every four young adults have contemplated suicide. One out of every four. And now 1.5 million people struggle with mental health issues in America. 53 million people are battling this. Man, we are, we are in a place right now that we need a miracle in our nation. We need a miracle. The phrase, the Great Depression, is defined differently to this generation than it is to us. We think of 1929 and associate it with a year, but not this generation. This generation doesn't think of the Great Depression. That the World Health Organization, think of this, as now describing the United States, the U.S., as the saddest country on the planet. That folks, the Great Depression no longer occurs on, occurs on Wall Street. It occurs in every soul of a generation that's growing up today. And what this pandemic did was accelerated things and intensified things that have been boiling for two decades. That what we're seeing take place today isn't because of a pandemic, it's been boiling. The Great Depression is not from a pandemic, but from a world that has been falling apart. And those who are supposed to help us are now facing their own problems and issues. I was reading the story all the way back almost 200, uh, almost 200 years ago in 1835, a man visited a doctor in Florence, Italy, when Italy was faced with, with literally disease and a, and a broken economy. He was filled with such anxiety and exhausted from lack of sleep. He couldn't eat, he couldn't talk to his friends, the doctor examined him and said, there's nothing wrong with you that I can see in your physical condition, concluding that what all he needed was a good time. The physician told him about a circus in town. He said, the star performer is a clown. He's considered the greatest clown in the world, the funniest clown in the world. His name is Grimaldi. And he said, you must go see Grimaldi, the doctor advised. He will make you laugh and cure your sadness. To which the man replied, he says, he can't help me. I am Grimaldi. That those who are supposed to help us are sick themselves. Think of that for just a moment. The ones that are supposed to bring healing are now in he need healing themselves. Think of this for a moment. The brand new study out on mental health of pastors is not just problematic. It is, ep it is, it is epidemic. They say right now, presently, 50% of all pastors are facing mental health challenges. Those that are standing in the pulpit today on a Sunday are facing that. In one day last week, one day, I dealt with five pastors outside of Times Square Church from all different parts of this country. One pastor said to me, Cindy even heard it. We were both talking to him. One pastor said, I didn't sign up for this. To which my wife said, it's the end of the month. Satan is trying to hit his quota. The latest Barna poll says that 38% of pastors now are contemplating quitting, calling it quits in ministry. Think of it. There have been even mornings, even here, you get up and you think to yourself, how are we going to make it? How are we going to do it? How is this going to happen? And I kept thinking of those five pastors. I kept thinking of myself. And specifically, what I want to talk to you about are three leaders that wanted to die, let alone quit. They didn't just want to quit. They wanted to die. And usually, I don't tell the names of people that I talk to. And I try to keep people's stories secret. But I want to tell you about three leaders that want to kill themselves. And I'm going to tell you their names. They didn't give me permission to tell them, but I'm going to tell their names. Moses. Some of you are already getting your phones out and thought I was going to start telling news. I know the way this culture works. Some of you are going like, Pastor, Tim is telling on people. Moses, Jonah, and Elijah 
are leaders that just didn't want to give up. They wanted to die. And I kept, I read their prayers and I thought of myself, I thought of those five precious pastors this week. And all I kept thinking about was this question, can Christians be depressed? Can Christians be depressed? And so what I want to talk to you about today, what is just so burdened my heart today is this. I want to talk to you about the kind of depression that makes me want to give up. The kind of depression that makes me want to give up. So let me ask the question again. Can a Christian be depressed? Here it comes. I'm going to tell you. The answer is yes. If you are like Elijah, then you can be depressed. And some of you are going, I am not like Elijah. I'm out of the woods on this one. But hold on. Let me read to you what the Bible says. First his battle, and then I want to insert you into the story. Here's his battle. First Kings 19.4 says this. But he himself, when a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, requested, this is him talking to God, requested that he might die. And he said, it is enough. This is the great Elijah, the great prophet. He's the pastor of this time. It's enough. Now, O Lord, look at this request. While you're asking for rent money and while you're asking for a job, look what he's saying. O Lord, take my life, for I am not better than my father's. And the question, the answer to you, the question is, can a Christian be depressed? The answer is yes, if you're like Elijah. Folks, here it comes. Bad news. James 5, 17. Elijah was as human as we are. There it is. As human as we are. And then it says, yet when he prayed earnestly, no rain would fall. None fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again. The Bible says in the, uh, the sky sent down rain and earth began to yield its crops. Look at that phrase. Elijah was as human as we are. As one version says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Put any other leader's name in that section. It doesn't have to be Elijah. Jonah was as human as we are. Moses was as human as we are. But I am relieved today to know that we have a heavenly father that understands. I am relieved today to know that we have a God that sees our, our brokenness and sees our frailty. Listen to what David says in Psalm 103. He said, the Lord is like a father to his children. It says he's tender and compassionate to those who fear him. Why? For he knows how weak we are and he remembers we are only dust. Thank God for an understanding father. Thank God that he understands. So in light of my weakness and dust, I have a new answer. People will ask me all the time, and I have a new answer now with, with, with the challenges that I'm personally facing. I have a new challenge. I have a new answer when you ask me this question. Here's my new answer to the question. How are you doing, Pastor Tim? Okay, get ready. You can borrow my answer. Here it comes. This is what I say to everybody now. I'm going faith to faith, glory to glory, and strength to strength. That, that is my new answer to every. Listen, I, I can't tell you what's happening tomorrow. I don't even know what's going to happen at three and four o'clock today. But I do know this. I am going from glory to glory, faith to faith, and strength to strength. Put that back up on the screen for me because I'm giving you some language. Come on. I want you to say it with me. Faith to faith. Glory to glory, strength to strength. Say it with authority. Faith to faith, glory to glory, strength to strength. So I have a question for you, Times Square Church. How are you doing? What are you doing? I'm going from faith to faith. Hallelujah. That's what we're going to do today. That's what's going to happen. See, these three leaders went from strength to depression, glory to depression, and from faith to depression. They didn't take the path that went to the next step to where God wanted to bring them. Each one of them said in their kill me prayers came out of a mountaintop experience with God. All of those kill me prayers, and I'll give them to you in a second, which tells me, jot this down, depression is not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign that you need God. That's what it is. Not a sign of weakness. It's a sign that I need him every single day. I need him every single moment because depression unsurrendered to God 
turns dangerous. When I began to think of the attacks upon my own life, I've watched it. I've watched those days where depression, when it wasn't surrendered to God, started to try to come in. And I kept seeing these three same ingredients. It could be more for anybody else, but not for me. It was just these things. I kept feeling, you feel despair, you feel discouragement, and paralyzed. Like you can't do anything. Like you can't go anywhere. Like there's no motivation. Like this despair, you lose hope, discouragement. Nothing's going to change. And paralysis, I can't do anything. I kept reading the, the biography of the great preacher, Charles Spurgeon, who faced deep, dark moments of depression. In fact, he felt when I was reading his biography, he was the most depressed man in all of London. And in fact, his biographer said this. He says, Spurgeon suffered in those times of darkness. Nobody will ever know. And he used to call it, he said, I had dungeons in despair underneath my castle. Everybody saw the castle, but there were dungeons of despair. But this is what I loved, the way he saw it when those times would come. Spurgeon said depression was his John the Baptist. When he felt it coming, he knew something greater wasn't far behind. <laughs> he knew Jesus was not far behind when those feelings started to cloud the days that he was facing. Let me read to you the, 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 the prayers of these three men that wanted to give up. Let me read to you the prayers of these three gentlemen, these prophets that just said enough. I can't go on any longer. First Jonah, Jonah 4.3, he prayed this. Therefore now, Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. These are prayers, actual prayers of godly men. Look at, look at Elijah again, but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness, came and sat down under a juniper tree, requested for himself that he might die, and said, it's enough, Lord. He decided, Elijah has decided, it's enough. Take my life. I am not better than my father's. And finally, Moses. He said, if you're going to deal thus with me, please kill me at once. If I found favor in your sight, do not let me see my wretchedness. I kept thinking of these prayers and I kept thinking of the challenges that constantly come, not just from me, but against you, you as parents, you as, as, as students, you that maybe is a single mom here today, you as seniors. And I kept seeing this verse because this is where I saw it begin to unfold. I have a passage that is best described the fight in the New Testament of not only what these men go through, but what all of us go through. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says. You need to see this passage Jot this down, 2 Corinthians 7, 5. Paul said, for even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. Now get this. We were afflicted on every side. Conflicts within, without, fears within. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. When I look at that passage again, it said, he said, our flesh had no rest, afflicted on every side, conflicts without, and fears within. See, what Paul was saying was this, that the results of the conflicts without and the conflicts within came the very next verse. That was the description of verse 7. When he said, when you have the result of conflicts without and within, he says, you see that cloud of depression that wants to begin to come. I was listening and, and, and reading something yesterday from a preacher, a pastor in California named David, David Jeremiah, and he, and he so brilliantly said it like this. He said, our souls and our bodies live so close together that it's easy for each of them to catch the other's disease. Think of that. Your soul and your body live so close together. What was he saying? That depression is a result of the dual fight of the within and the without. What do you mean, Pastor Tim? It's adding this mental torment on top of the actual struggle, which leads to despair and depression. I, 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 when, I, when I think of 2 Corinthians 7.5, let me explain it like this. When I think of 2 Corinthians 7.5, and Paul says, for when we came, for even when we came to Macedonia, he said, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side. Another way to say 2 Corinthians 7.5 goes like this. Ever since I came to Macedonia, this is what's happened. Anybody ever say this? Ever since I came to New York City, 
Let's get, let's get personal. Ever since I came to Times Square Church, ever since I moved, ever since I've been, and here's what, here's what you realize. The conflicts without, the conflicts within. That's why I want to tell you this. In this city and in this church, you better be called. Nothing else but the calling of God is the only thing that's going to keep you put. It has to be God. This isn't a matter. You can't play in this city. You better be led by the Holy Spirit. You better know God. Listen, if you're visiting with us today, when service is over, run. Run for the hills. Get, get on the plane and get back here. Don't come back here unless the Holy Ghost has called you here. And if he did, you can be afflicted on every side, conflicts within, conflicts without, and then you're going to see glory to glory, faith to faith, and strength to strength. That's what God begins to do for his people. I want to talk to you about that within part. Because the without part is, 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 is just common. It hits all of us. But it's the within part. That you're fighting a secret addiction. And then the mental fight starts. The hopelessness that I'll never be set free from this, from this, from this addiction. Financial challenges. The outside. The without creates the anxiety that comes within. A bad or a toxic work environment creates the tension or the anger. So you have the without and the within. Sickness, a diagnosis intensifies. That's the out, the sickness, but the within is the fear of the future. The job loss brings on panic, even for provision. It's the conflict without and within. That's the part of the fight I think all of us that gets overlooked and unaddressed sometimes. We're so busy fighting the without part, we forget the within challenges that's coming against us. Moses and Elijah and Jonah faced a fight without, but never paid attention to their soul that was shriveling up maybe within. And because that within battle was overlooked, they ended up giving up. And I think that I, there is a place that has helped me that I want to take you to today. It's been an urgent care for me to run to when the within battle gets overwhelming. When I feel that my flesh has no rest, there is an urgent care for the soul that I have found in Psalm 2, and I want, 42. And I want to take you to it today and just give you a few thoughts before we close. It's just, a, it's just the beginning of healing. It's the beginning of showing light in a, in a journey that, that you may be on today, that you just need to know God is there. And, and I found out this, that the way through is two ways through this. Let me just say what it is. One, for God not to answer my prayer. And number two, I need God to answer my prayer. I don't need him to answer the prayer that these, that, you know, think about what these men have prayed. God, kill me. God, kill me. God, kill me. Thank God that he doesn't answer every one of our prayers. How many are thankful for that? And, and I mean, I am so, I mean, think about it for a second. He asked Elijah says, God, kill me. And God goes, no, 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 he needs cake. And God bakes him a cake and sends an angel. And it was always as if the Holy Spirit's going, he doesn't mean kill, he means cake. And so let's just give him that. And what he needed was rest. Think about it. When Moses goes, kill me, the Holy Spirit's going, no, 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 no don't kill him. What he needs is 70 different elders are going to help him face all these things. He just needs help. He doesn't need a funeral. He needs this. How many are thankful that God doesn't end? Let me just tell you something. And some of you, some of you have been praying, oh God, I got to get married. I got to get married. I got to get married. And thank God he hasn't answered some of your prayers. That's the one. That's the one. That's the one. And some of you know this. If there's any purpose of social media, it's to show us, thank God we didn't get married to the one that we thought we were supposed to get married to. But I don't need him not to answer my prayer, but I need him to answer my prayer. And I think that's the Psalm 42. That's the Psalm 42. I want to take you to David's dungeon beneath the castle. I want to take you to David's moment of depression, of despair. In fact, three times in these 11 verses, almost 30% of this whole psalm, 
He uses over and over again, discouragement, despair, despair. He just kept saying over and over again, almost the, this, this psalm, it's just plagued with despair. It's his dungeon beneath the castle. He just constantly says, my soul, it's the within fight. My soul is in despair. Now, when I kept reading that word, despair is such a strong word. It actually means the complete loss and absence of hope. And in David's absence of hope, David starts praying questions. In fact, Psalm 42, when you start reading it, doesn't just have despair, it has eight questions. Three words that are always starting out in this psalm. Every single place, David always starts off with when, where, and why. In 11 verses, 11 verses, David is crying out. That's why when we are in depression, we're always asking God these three questions. When, where, and why. We will go, it'll be, when will this be over? Where are you in all of this? Why is this happening? When what we do is this, jot this down. We will question his presence. That's the where part. This is David. This is the question. Then we will question his purpose. Why? Why is it happening to me? And finally, we will question his timing. When is it going to be over? When is this going to be finished? It's the where, the why, and the when. And before I take you to see the doctor in urgent care, I want to walk you through the symptoms, two quick symptoms, and then, we, then, we, then we'll give you the prescription today, and then we'll close. Two quick prescriptions. I saw the, are two symptoms, two symptoms that kept coming up in despair. So let me give them to you. Jot these down, because this is, the, this is where the cast, this is the dungeon beneath the castle. This is where everybody's looking at you at your job, at work, at Fordham or NYU. This is where you as a high school student walk in and, and walking into a locker room or walking into your history class and everybody sees the castle but never sees the dungeon that's going on underneath. That everybody sees a Pastor Tim up here, the castle, but nobody ever sees the dungeon. And so this is where you begin to realize David faced these two symptoms. Let me give you the first one. Jot this down. One, he dangerously switched diets. Let me explain that to you. Look at 42.3. It says, my tears have been my food day and night. Look at that phrase again. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? Look at that phrase. My tears have been my food day and night. He left off the diet that he started the book of Psalms off with. And because the conflict without and the conflict within, he started to feed off his tears. That became his food. His sad stories, his plight are now the topic of his conversation. Do you know what he switched his diets were? Let me read to you what David's diet, day and night diet was. It's this, Psalm 1, 2, and 3. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates what? Day and night. And what happens when you do that? Read it with me. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf doesn't wither. And when whatever he does, he prospers. That was his diet. He said, when I meditated upon the law, the word of God, he said, I was firmly planted. I was fruitful and I was prosperous in everything that I did. Now, all of a sudden, he switches diets and now tears take up his day and night. That was Jonah's diet, Elijah's diet, Moses's diet, and it was even David's diet. They switched diets. Now he's feeding off the stories that make him cry. That every time you sit with Elijah, every time you sit with Jonah, let me tell you what happened to me. Let me tell you my story. Let me, let me tell you my... And all of a sudden, you're, that's your conversation. He gets riled up and it's dangerous energy talking about people to people and stuff that has happened to him and wanting to make sure you understood his tears. And, and every time you, you sit with someone, you have to mention your hurt story. Folks, I've been there. Ever since this happened, ever since, and all of a sudden you face that. And that's why I am telling you, I want to lend this to you. That passage, Psalm 1, 1, 2, and 1, 3, has been a rock for me in my life. And it was this. 
that day and night, that God, I would go, God, in the mornings, this is what I'm going to do and at nights. Can I tell you what I do every morning and every night? This is the way it goes for me. In the, in the evenings, let me just tell you this, every morning I ask God for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives it generously. Every morning, God, I need your wisdom. You know what I do every single night? Here's my night, my night talk. Every night, casting all my anxiety on him because he cares for me. Every day in the morning, ask for wisdom. At night, cast your care upon him. Let me tell you that one more time because some of you just missed that. Every morning, God, I need wisdom. Every night, I give you every care, every anxiety, and I cast that upon you every single night. That God, my diet is not going to be comprised of my tear stories. They're going to be comprised of the wisdom that you have given and the God that I've cast all my care upon him. That you are the one that's able to do it. See, all three of the prophets wanted to die, heard the audible voice of God. But other voices started to come in. Moses, it was the group of complainers. For Jonah, it was his own voice. For Elijah, it was the voice of Jezebel. And folks, I'm telling you, in order to fight we have to hear the only voice that counts. And the only voice that counts is not someone who commented on your Instagram, social media, and had something to say about you, or someone who commented on this or that. The only voice that counts to me is the one that gives me wisdom every single morning, and it is the voice of God. In his law, I will meditate. Let me just tell you something. I love you, but your voice can't keep me firmly planted. I love you, but your voice can't make me fruitful. I love you, but only God can begin to prosper me in whatever I do. I need the voice of God. I need the word of God every single day. Finally, the danger of living in the past. Look at Psalm 42.4. This is what David said. My heart is breaking as I remember how it used to be. I walked among the crowds of worshipers, leading a great procession to the house of God, singing for joy and giving thanks amidst the sound of great celebration. David says, I remember, I remember, I remember the crowds. I remember the worship. I remember the procession. I remember the, but his memory wasn't yielding gratitude. It was yielding depression. That's the danger of the wrong memory. It's the danger of going, I remember how it used to be. That's when the memory begins to lead to depression. His diet and his memory weren't fixing it. Always remember this, church. David got stuck with what happened instead of moving forward with what can be in God even through this new season. that's I don't ever want to get stuck. I want to go, God, whatever you're doing, I just want to be a part of it. Always remember, we're products of our past, but we're not prisoners to it. We're products of the past, but I'm not a prisoner to it. Or let me just say it to you like this. You're not defined by your past, but you are prepared by your past for what God wants to do in the future. I, every Sunday, I read to you what nations are with us. And one of those nations that, seems, that joins us for the last two months every Sunday I want to read to you how someone did not get caught in the immediate past or even failure, but pushed through to breakthrough. We have her permission because of the sensitivity of the country and what she does. Lisa has been joining us from South Sudan for the last two months. She started in June, found us online, has been with us every single time. And these were her words. She said, I heard about the week of prayer and fasting, and especially about the Monday night of healing. I had been dealing with stress and anxiety and depression to the point where I became physically sick and weak. Because of the time difference, I was unable to join Monday night for the healing service. But however, because even though I couldn't join, I woke up Tuesday morning for the first time in weeks with an appetite. She said, my energy had been restored and peace came into my home in South Sudan. She said, I felt overwhelmed 
And the Holy Spirit reminded me to trust him that I will give God all the glory, that instead of Lisa lamenting, I cannot be there, I should have set my alarm, I could have gotten up, and instead of focusing on what didn't happen, Lisa lifted up her hands in South Sudan and said, God, I thank you for what did happen, and that God, you healed me today. And so folks, I am telling you, those, those things never snapped David out of it. Never snapped him out of it. So now I want to take you and close with this. I want to take you to the urgent care of Psalm 42. Once you realize that the diet, the memory is bringing no relief to a dangerous depression, I want to give you the prescription for despair. I want to give you the prescription for this and close with this. Man has come up with all of his answers, but I'm going to tell you right here in Psalm 42, it has liberated me and has set me free. I just read... Uh, Harvard just did a study that says that if you drink several cups of coffee, you could reduce your risk of suicide and you can even be 10% less likely to be depressed. Thank you, Harvard. I'm going with Psalm 42 on this one. And here's what I'm going to do. Harvard, I want you to understand this. I'm going with Psalm 42 while I'm drinking coffee. I'm going to go with Psalm 42 on this one. Coffee for suicide? Come on! Coffee for depression? Friends, listen, I love coffee, but I need Jesus. Let me just tell you that right now. So jot this down. God's people live on promises and not explanations. God's people live on promises and not explanations. Because what's amazing is, is that God doesn't answer one of the questions, where, when, and why, that David asks. Eight times, where, when, why, where are you, when are you coming, why is this happening? God doesn't even answer that because we don't live on explanations, we live on promises. And here is what David says. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you disturbed within me? Here it comes. Prescription. Put your hope in God. For I will praise him. He is my savior and he is my God. Folks, look at that again. Why are you downcast? Why are you disturbed? And then David speaks to his soul. Put your hope in God because I'm going to praise him. Or another version says, I'll praise him again because he's my savior and he's my God. The Living Bible says it like this. Soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be upset. Expect God to act. For I know that I shall again have plenty of reason to praise him for all that he will do. He is my help and he is my God. Hallelujah. Expect God to ask. That's why I love, if anybody could say it best, it's the woman that was in a concentration camp named Corey Temboon. She said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within yourself, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. That's what God has for us. That's what God wants to do. Listen, God never answered David's questions because his hope wasn't in an explanation, but a promise. Put your hope in God. The praise that you lost can be restored. Questioning my soul. When David questioned his soul, and this is what we close with. When David questioned his soul, he was saying, you're not in charge of me. He was not letting his soul speak unaccountably. The soul, the voice that was going. That's why the redundancy of Psalm 42 is really the prescription. The diagnosis and, and, and prescription, the word despair appears the three times. And all three times, this passage constantly appears. It appears in verse 5. It appears in verse 7. It appears in verse 11. And it's this one. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Why have you become disturbed? Hope in God. Three times. Three times. Hope in God, for I'm going to praise him. He's the help of my presence. I love that David speaks to his soul. Listen. I, I get it. We've done it here, but there's a lot of churches. There, we have too many tell-your-neighbor churches. Tell your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, I'm going on with Jesus. Don't, no, not yet. 
Tell your neighbor, I'm, I'm, I'm strong in Jesus. I, I get it. I've done that. I've been part of it. And we have too many, too many talk to me. I don't hear you talking to me, churches, from the pulpit. You know what we need more of? We need more of talk to your soul, churches. That's what we need. Because that's biblical. Let, 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 me, let me explain it to you like this. That some of you should have showed up at church and spoke to your soul saying, soul, don't look at anybody else. Listen, and you can do that in New York and no one will think anything about you. No one would say a word. They're just going like, no one would say a word. So whether you come back for the one or whether you're coming for the Tuesday night, this is what I want you to do. When you sit in that seat, I want you to say, soul, it's been a tough week. You faced a lot. But let me just let you know, you're not in charge of what's coming next. When the choir starts and the music starts, soul, these hands are going to be raised. Soul, this mouth is going to sing. And so get ready. I don't know what's going to happen with these feet. They may tap. They may jump. But I can't promise you they're going to stay in place. Because when this service starts, you're no longer in charge, soul. I'm saying I'm going to hope in God and believe that he is my help, my rock, my fortress. And God is in charge. I can trust him when everything else around me is falling apart. So soul, get ready. I'm gonna clap. I'm gonna lift these hands. I may jump. I may shout. But you're not in charge any longer. My soul is finding its help in God. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. I, I, I want, I, can, can I read this last thing and then we're done? Um, it doesn't matter. You could have said yes or no. I'm still doing it. I'm just going to read it to you. So let me tell you. I have 25,000 books in my library. We sent almost every one of them up to our Bible school. Summit, which has just started. We're praying for them that this is going to be their greatest semester ever, greatest year. Students come in from all over the world into Grantville, Pennsylvania. And thank you for your ties and offerings because it goes to support that school. So thank you for that. In the next year or two, we're going to build a library up there with those books. And so I get this question asked to me over and over again. It's, it just comes. What's your favorite book beside the Bible? What's your favorite book? Without, without any pause, it's the same book. It's probably the book I've read the most. It was a book that was written by a prisoner from a dream, preaching the gospel. And it's a book that has changed my life. And even in this season, I want to read a, a portion of it to you. You can probably get it for free online. And it's this book. It's called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. No other Christian book has sold more and has been in circulation more than this book. 1500s. John, John Bunyan wrote this book. He was jailed in Bedford, England for preaching the gospel. And while he was in prison, while he was in his, his dungeon, he had a dream of a Christian's pilgrimage from earth to heaven. And it was all these people he was meeting and all these things, uh, challenges that he was facing. And is in Christian, the name of the man on the journey is all of us. He was, he was all of us. And I was rereading this last night, and folks, it was even rather emotional to me. And this is what it said. It said when he was coming to the end, it's the end of Pilgrim's Progress, and he's walking with his companion named Hopeful. Hopeful. He's walking with Hopeful, and he sees the gate, and this is what it, I, I, it's so important because I want you to see it on the screen. This is what 
Bunyan writes in his, from his dream into the book, he says, between them and the gate was a deep river, dark and cold, and no bridge. And the sight of the river, it says the pilgrims turned pale and were silent. And the two men that they were talking to said, you must go through or you'll never get to the gate. That's what they said to him. And so as they began to lose heart and realize that there was no easier way, this is what they did. So they asked this question. Is the, I love this part. Is the water all the same depth? The angel said no and offered no further guidance. But I love this part. Get ready. But you'll find it deeper or shallower according to your trust in the king of the palace. Folks, come on. First, that's not even, that's not even the part I want to tell you about. That's good. It's, it's, you'll decide if it's deep or shallow dependent upon your trust in the king of the palace. Ooh, Jesus. My heart jumped inside of me when I read that last night. Because for some of you, these have been deep waters. You know why they've been deep? Because you forgot sight of the king. Put your hope in God, soul. When David was saying that, he was saying, put your hope in, in the king of the palace. And so this is what it says. And then we close. Choir, singing people, you can come. Here we go. <laughs> then they accepted the inevitable. They entered the water and they began to sink. He cried to his good friend, Hopeful. I'm sinking in deep waters. The billows are going over my head. All of his waves go over. This is Christian now as he's taken the first step. Look at me, folks. Look at that last, that, that last part. I sink in deep water. The billows go over my head. All of his waves go over me. Do you see that? All of a sudden, my heart goes, wait a second. He's quoting David from the same psalm we just read. He's quoting David. Listen to, listen to 42.7. Deep calls to deep at the noise of your waterfalls. Look at it. All your waves and billows have gone over my head. Here it comes. Okay, this is, this is the part. After they enter the water, Christian's beginning to sink. He cried to his good friend, Hopeful. I'm sinking in deep waters. The billows are going over my head. But his friend, Hopeful, is a little bit further away. And this is what he says. Be of good cheer, said Hopeful. I feel the bottom and it's firm. I just, I started to cry. All of a sudden, he looked a little bit further and there's somebody ahead of him going, we're going to make it. It's firm ahead. We can get through this. We can make it on the other side. I feel the bottom. Hallelujah. And it's firm. I feel the bottom. I'm telling you, Times Square Church, listen to me. I'm going through deep waters. I've hit bottom. I feel the bottom on 51st and Broadway. Look at me. It's firm. I'm standing knowing that God is underneath me, that my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest phrase, but holy lean on Jesus' name, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, stand with me. Tell your soul we're standing together right now. Come on, lift those hands and just worship right now. Just thank him right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Look at me, folks. Those online, I felt the bottom, and it's firm. It's firm. That no matter what, how much you feel overwhelmed, it's firm. Keep walking. It's firm. You won't sink. Some of you are treading water 
and you feel like you're drowning right now. But right now, get ready. You're going to talk to your soul right now. Here's what you're going to say. I will let you talk to your neighbor right now. Here's what you're going to say to them. I'm about to tell your neighbor on, your, on either side and just say, I'm about to say something and this has nothing to do with you. Tell them that right now. Just say, you're going to hear me talking. This has nothing to do with you. Here we go. This is what you're going to tell your soul. Soul, you're about to get out of your seat. Soul, you're going to tell me it's embarrassing because people are going to think I'm a basket case. But soul, I'm telling you, I'm in good company. There's a bunch of messed up people in this place. And soul, I'm going to get prayed for today. So soul, you're going to tell me to sit here and leave this place so, so I can look good on the outside when there is a dungeon on the inside. So soul, be quiet. I'm about to put my hope in God. And as I told you in the beginning, these legs, I make no promise where these, what these legs are going to do today. And today, soul, these legs are going to leave that balcony, walk down those stairs, walk down here, lift up my hands, and I'm going to get prayed for today because I'm going to put my hope in God today. I'm going to trust in God today. So soul, you are being served notice. You can't stop me from talking, but I can stop you from dictating and leading. So soul, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. So you are not going to lead me on this one. I'm going. And folks, let me just tell you, if I didn't have to preach today, I'd be right down here. And I want to tell you this. I felt this ground and it's firm. It's firm. 33 years, this ground has been firm of setting people free. There are people further ahead. So if you don't know what to do, there's a bunch of hopefuls going, come on. I touched bottom. It's firm. Balcony, main floor, you are faced with that dark dungeon. You are faced with those dark thoughts. You could be in the choir. You could be singers. I don't care. I, listen, you could be musicians. I don't care. Put your things. We don't need, we'll play, we'll sing to you on the drums. It doesn't matter. Whoever it is, if you're going, I, I need to get down here. I just want to be prayed for today. I don't care where you're at. Get out of your seat. Get down here, and we're going to pray for you today. Quickly, get out. Balcony, make your way to the exits. You make your way down. This is a time we're going to believe for God. And your soul is going to say, don't go down there. They're going to think you're, they're going to think you're addicted to prescription, antidepressant. Who cares what anybody thinks right now? We're going to get freedom today in this house. Freedom is coming into this house today. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message and be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.